This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset. Illinois lost more than 1,000 lives to COVID-19 this week. The state's death toll is now over 15,000. Meanwhile, hospitals began to administer the first rounds of the emergency Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine. But surveys of Americans show that not everyone is as gung-ho about getting the vaccine when it becomes available, citing concerns around side effects and effectiveness. Here with the latest on the pandemic, and to answer your questions about the vaccine, is Dr. Mia Teramina. She's an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. Dr. Teramina, welcome back to Reset. Oh, Sasha, it's great to be here. Dr. Teramina, we have seen record numbers of infections and hospitalizations and deaths over the last few months. Put these numbers into context from where we were in the spring. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, we had such a huge surge of infection back in the spring, and we had all said as providers that we hope to never see numbers like that again. But we also were very mindful that this fall would bring another surge, and that's indeed what has happened. The last week or so, we might be seeing an ever so slight downtick in some of the numbers we had been seeing in the last couple of weeks. But we are still in the midst of the surge, which is likely to continue into January or early February. Remind us of those numbers. What are they right now? Oh, Right now, we're approaching 880,000 cases in Illinois. And so, you know, we've had just a tremendous amount of infection and carnage throughout this entire process. It's been so heart-wrenching. Speaking of hospital capacity a moment ago, tell us how they're coping. So right now in in this week per se, and I am on staff in in three different hospital systems, the numbers are slightly down from where they had been in the last week or two. We do have capacity, but, you know, we've stretched our resources pretty thin and certainly expanded some of our floors to accommodate more coronavirus patients. The issue is that those who require some help often have a hospital stay that is much longer than intended. We have many patients hospitalized right now that have been hospitalized for a month or more. So, uh, you know, there's certainly that chance that someone coming into the hospital won't necessarily get supportive care and some therapeutics and be turned out the door in a day or two. It's generally a longer hospital stay, which really makes us stretched for beds for other purposes as well. Mm. How, How about PPE supply? Where are we compared to the spring? You know, we seem to be okay. There was definitely that concern in the spring, and there was a significant amount of rationing supplies. At this point, it seems to be okay. We still have providers and nurses and medical assistants that there are brown paper bags uh, strewn throughout all of the units that have everyone's N95s and face shields in them so they can be donned and doffed as needed. And we preserve the ability to use an N95 more than once or throughout the course of a day or even more than one day if needed. Now let's hear from a caller and head over to Chicago's northwest side. Kate is in Portage Park. Kate, what's your question? Hi, thanks for having me. I was curious about people who have kids who are under two who cannot wear masks and if there's any data on what the infection rate for those kids are in like a daycare facility. Thanks for your question, Kate. 
Yeah, that's a great question. There are incidences of COVID in these younger kids in daycare facilities and in other contexts, uh, even just being with family members. Fortunately, they seem to not be big drivers of the infection. And when they do become infected, they generally have a very mild course. There are certainly exceptions to the rule, but that's why we have our responsibility as adults around these younger children to be masked as much as we can. Obviously, social distancing cannot be maintained when we're dealing with toddlers that need our care. But now as we start to eke into the rollout of vaccine, it's going to become paramount for our daycare providers, for our parents, and for everybody that interacts with these children to protect them as best we can uh, by vaccinating ourselves so we don't become acutely ill and risk transmitting the virus. Well, on the topic of vaccines, we did have the good news this week of vaccinations starting in Chicago and around the world. Dr. Tamina, did you get vaccinated? I was very fortunate to be able to get vaccinated yesterday. So I'm pleased that we were able to roll out successfully at DuPage Medical Group and have a vaccine available to the most at-risk providers and staff. And we are rolling down quickly to accommodate all of our providers and staff as soon as we are able. So how was it? How did it go? Any side effects for you? It was great. You know, no side effects. I had no symptoms whatsoever after the vaccine and, you know, well into the evening hours last night. Uh, This morning, a little bit of a sore arm, but that's all to speak of. I feel completely normal and just so excited at what science has brought us in this new chapter in this journey. So tell me what your top priorities are then. You know, a lot of people with vaccine fears, right? Tell me, you know, are allergic reactions and things, has that been overblown by the media? Are there legitimate fears? So when we look at these adverse reactions when vaccines are being administered, we have to kind of weigh if there's a possibility that incidental allergic reactions and adverse reactions could happen in the community, you know, in the same percentage or incidence. So are these adverse events, you know, because of the vaccine or in spite of the vaccine? That being said, the two individuals that experienced anaphylaxis in the UK rollout on the first day were both individuals with a history of anaphylactic reactions. And it is presumed and likely targeted that the issue is with one of the preservatives in the vaccine. That's the polyethylene glycol component. For those who have had issues with anaphylaxis to a vaccine or anaphylaxis to an injectable medication that is preserved in a vial, they would need to speak with their providers and really uh, discuss the pros and cons. We don't want to restrict anyone from getting this vaccine that should be able to. Now, when it comes to food allergies, environmental allergies, allergies to stinging insects, it is not anticipated that you would have any increased risk with receiving this vaccine. And anecdotally, I had an unexplained anaphylaxis myself several years ago that never seemed to amount to anything, and I had no reservations getting the vaccine and certainly no problem receiving it. So I do want to lead by example that some of these allergies are much, much less of a concern. And speaking of leading by example, you've been vaccinated, but you're still social distancing and wearing your mask, etc. Absolutely, absolutely. This vaccine is going to be 95% effective in preventing me from getting COVID. We do not yet know about the vaccine's potential to prevent transmission. So I may still, even after I have antibodies, potentially carry virus that could be transmitted to another person. And I don't want to do that. So until we achieve herd immunity levels, which is many, many months down the road, I want to continue to wear my mask continue to social distance and not have gatherings and not celebrate the holidays with a big household full of individuals because I want to keep my family and friends safe and I will continue to do so. Let's bounce over to Evanston where Barbara has a question about the vaccine. Hey Barbara, welcome to Reset. 
Hi, thanks for taking the call. What is the maximum limit of time you can wait between the two doses? I've heard two weeks, three weeks, depending. I'm just curious, can that be pushed further along? I'm thinking a situation may arise where the person themselves is delayed for some reason. They have an emergency illness or the whole system has a delay with unfortunate, unforeseen delivery problems, quality problems, yeah. you know, for sure. and so on. Yeah, so what's Doctor? the maximum time between? So that's a great question. Right now, the first vaccine that we've had in our hands is the Pfizer vaccine, and it is one dose on day one and then one dose on day 21. So there is some latitude there. In in the Pfizer studies, we can go anywhere from about 18 days to 23 days. So the vaccine can be given a few days early or a few days late. If there's an extenuating circumstance and we end up giving that second dose far longer than 23 days out, a month or more later, it is not advised to repeat the entire series. It's just advised to complete that second dose. And time will tell as we are more able to draw titers of antibodies to see if any boostering is needed in the future. But we may find over time that there's even more latitude to this. But right now, it's really encouraged that you stick with that three weeks or four weeks for the Moderna series when it comes out next week. And if there happens to be an extenuating circumstance, we need to get the vaccine as soon as possible. So as you can imagine, we have a ton of vaccine questions, and I think a majority of our calls will be on the same thing. I've got someone. Spencer, he's in Lakeview. Hi, Spencer. Hi there. My question is, Do we have we determined whether or not this is a one-time vaccine, or are we going to have to be vaccinated every year? What's the prognosis? So it's a little bit too soon to tell. Fortunately, we have tens of thousands of individuals that have gone through these trials and are, you know, 60 plus days ahead of us. So we will be able to tell in the long term follow up of those individuals when and if antibodies fall and when boosting is needed. So another point that we like to emphasize, this is a true booster vaccine, meaning that you get your first dose and then after the second dose, around one to two weeks plus later, you'll develop effective antibodies to prevent infection. One dose in and of itself is not going to give you a significant amount of protection at all. It's not like, okay, I've got some protection now, you know, I'll get the rest of my protection later. It's a true primer dose followed by a booster dose, and then the antibodies should be robust and lasting. My hope is that at the very least, it is a seasonal vaccine, but I'm optimistic that we might find that we are able to go even longer. And this might be something that we, for example, have to boost one time, and then we'll have very long-lasting antibodies for uh, much longer to come. So time will tell. Doctor, new vaccines are coming to market. What do we know about protocols and, and efficacy? So I'm thinking so, Moderna, for instance. Yeah, I mean, it's right right on par with the Pfizer vaccine that came out. And the, the word on the street and everything was done live and, and transparently with the pitch yesterday. And it was a slam dunk. The data is very, very good. It's very convincing. This is a safe and effective vaccine. Again, we were hopeful for vaccines to come to market with, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent efficacy to have two vaccines coming to market with better than 94, 95% efficacy is, is truly outstanding. So again, these side effects, while common, like a sore arm or maybe a little bit of fatigue, are not showing to be severe, and we don't have any dramatic adverse reactions. There have been no life-threatening adverse reactions in either of these vaccine trials. As more and more people are vaccinated across the world, we will certainly see incidents of severe adverse events on par with what we see in some of our other vaccines that we routinely give 
year upon year upon year. But messenger RNA technology is poised to be among the safest vaccine technology ever released onto the market. And this might be the vaccine of the future and the way all future vaccines are sort of modeled. Well, let's go to Hugo in the back of the yards neighborhood. Hi, Hugo. Yes, hello. So I've been isolated for two weeks now. I was tested positive on the 8th of December, and I'm no longer symptomatic. Is this still possible for me to transmit the disease? So you go on day 10 after your diagnosis, which would be today, if you've been fever-free for at least 24 hours, it is highly unlikely that you still are producing active virus that can cause someone else to become sick. That being said, certain individuals with other health issues, people that are on dialysis, immunocompromised, cancer patients, the elderly, they possibly can continue to shed virus that is active a little bit longer. So folks in those categories, we actually have them wait a full 20 days before we release their quarantine status. Doctor, in the midst of the worst spike that we've seen in the U.S., the city of Chicago is in a struggle with teachers on the whole topic of resuming in-person learning, right, after the new year. I know that's a huge topic in my house, right, as to whether to send my kids back to school or not. How do you address safety concerns? You know, we have a challenge here in general to try and get these kids back safely. There's plenty of data. We have leaders in the nation that are absolutely in support of getting the kids back to school as a priority. And we've done a disservice in some ways to not prioritize safely getting our kids back to school from the top down in terms of leadership to to be able to prioritize this. We need to maintain social distancing and we need to have mask wearing during school in order to safely get these kids back. The problem is not necessarily the front end and getting them back safely and maintaining social distancing. It's sort of the back end where when and if one child becomes sick, how many do we have to quarantine? If we have to quarantine teachers, do we have enough subs? And that's where things become really tricky because once we open these doors, we need to not close them again. We have to have consistency and continuity for these kids and the back and forth has been really difficult for them. So I know that I'm anxious to continue working with my school board to try and get our kids back to school in the suburbs. And I think that this is doable and the time is very reasonable to do so. I also think that teachers need to be prioritized for one of the next rounds of vaccine. And I hope that with the incoming leadership, we go ahead and put our money where our mouth is when it comes to saying that our teachers are essential. So let's get them protected. Bill is calling from Oak Park and he wants to know about gathering for the holidays. Hi, Bill. Hi, doctor. My wife and I work from home. My son and his girlfriend work from home. In each couple, we'll hit grocery stores once or twice a week. That's been it. And we're trying to figure out if we have stayed remote enough to safely have the two couples stick together around Christmas. I think with numbers that small, we are within a reasonable risk factor. I I like to say that it should be your own household whenever possible, but if you are going to have someone over to visit, no more than six to 10 people from no more than two households. And certainly bearing in mind those risk factors and exposures, folks working from home and minimally going out into a society for essential needs only and who are otherwise healthy and not showing symptoms should reasonably be able to gather. It's not unreasonable to still have the on if there's a lot of close interaction with someone that you haven't been in contact with for a significant period of time. And for those that are having gatherings that are a little bit bigger than that, even though uh, extreme caution is advised, I do reiterate that eating around a table where masks are off and you're facing one another is probably not the best idea. So we may need to reimagine the eating around uh, the house in several different locations where social distancing can be maintained and no one's facing one another.
Let's stick around to Oak Park where Marsha has a question about in-home transmissions. Marsha, what's on your mind? Well, my son works in a warehouse. He loads and they wear a mask, but they cannot distance. And so he has daily exposure at work. And my husband and I are at home. My husband works from home. We just go out for essentials. Well, he goes out for essentials. I don't go anywhere because I'm immune compromised. We're both seniors. And so my question is, should we wear a mask in the home, perhaps? Because there have been studies which show that there is lower in-home transmission when the household members wore masks in the home. It decreased oh, sure. uh, household transmission almost like 90% or something like that. Sure. We, we know at this point that masks work. Absolutely. It is a big ask to be masked all the time in your own home. It's not comfortable. It's, it's supposed to be our safe place. Now, when it comes to risk, the, the greatest risk is your exposure risk to your son and potentially your husband who are leaving the house more frequently. Those are the individuals that, uh, you know, if there is going to be mask wearing within the home, your son having the greatest exposure would consider wearing a mask if he has to to be in close contact with you. Otherwise, social distancing within the home is effective as well. So to the extent that, you know, people are just sort of passing ships within their home, the the risk becomes somewhat less. But if there's going to be close interaction and your son has continuous higher risk exposures and you are immunocompromised, it's very reasonable for him to wear a mask and for you to consider wearing one as well, depending on your level of comfort. Let's head back north to Highland Park. Cindy has a question about the vaccine. Hi, my son is a ER resident, and he had just gotten his first shot on Wednesday. What we want to know is after his second shot and 10 days later, is it safe for him to come home? We haven't seen him in a year. My husband and I are older, but will he be covered enough to come home and visit? So uh, a week to two after his second dose, he will have sufficient antibodies to protect him during travel if he's exposed to someone during travel. And of course, in his residency position, uh, you know, dealing with the highest risk patients as well, he will be protected, which is wonderful. We do not know about the ability of these vaccines to prevent transmission. So it's still theoretically possible that he could get exposed to virus that will not infect him, but he could bring it back to you and your husband. So caution still needs to be had. I think that once we get to a place where you and your husband are also vaccinated and have antibodies, that's when we get to start to relax a little bit. When we have fully vaccinated individuals all together in the same space, that's when we have a more reassuring environment. So yeah, I think after he's fully vaccinated, he'll be protected in his travels and it would be nice to have a visit with him, but the mask wearing may may need to continue as well just to make sure you and your husband are protected from any unintentional transmission. That's Dr. Mia Termina, an infectious disease specialist with the DuPage Medical Group. She has been answering your questions about best practices during the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Termina, thank you so much. You take care. For more Reset interviews, please subscribe to this podcast and leave us a rating and a review that helps other listeners find us. And for more about the program, you can head over to the WBEZ website or follow us on Twitter at WBEZ Reset. That's it for Reset this Sunday. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.